Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Hello, and welcome to today's Book Hub, Those Underlying Emotions, Practices for Processing and Lamenting Together. We're joined today by authors Jennifer Grant and Abby Norman. My name is Leanne Pomrenke, and I'll be your MC. Let's open with a discussion question. Uh, feel free to write your answers, and we're also going to have our authors just open up by answering. Why do we need to talk about these things, about our grief and anxiety, and actually lament out loud? Jennifer, would you like to answer first? Yeah, sure. Um, hi, everybody, and welcome. And um, yeah, I think it's so important to speak about these things in some ways, just to be reminded that we are all going through it. I think one of the ways that we suffer as people is when we think we're the only person having a certain experience or experiencing a certain emotion. And so by speaking about the losses that we're experiencing or the grief that we're feeling, um, it's a way to kind of restore that that understanding that we all are experiencing these things and that it's normal to do so and that it's um it's a part of life you know there all of us hurt all of us grieve at different times in our lives and i think you know being by yourself and thinking you're the only one just adds more suffering to that experience happy go ahead yeah i would i was I'm right up that alley also. Um, it's grief and loss is scary and hard and it's really scary and hard if you think that it is a unique experience and no one else has done this before. And I also think that corporate lament um, as a pastor in a pandemic, I've just really been thinking about how corporate, one of the things that corporate lament does um, that our society doesn't know how to do is it teaches people how. So I need to be sad in front of my kids so that they can learn how to do that. Um, so it gives you, it gives the next generation a roadmap for the feelings that they're going to feel. Like, it, especially in the world of like Instagram and highlight reels, where we're like, my life is awesome. My kids are beautiful. It's so great. Like they need to know that actually everyone around them is stumbling and failing all the time and that that's really hard for them. And so they're not um, broken permanently when they fall and then they have to get back up. Right on. In our chat here, we have people echoing um, so we know we're not alone because many of us feel tired, burnt out, and alone. Um, there are definitely themes that are going to keep rising up here. Um, but also, one of our uh, participants has pointed out, you know, when we do this, it is a chance to start healing. And that's what we're going to get at today. Uh, so our first segment will be led by Jennifer Grant. Jennifer is an editor and author of six books. Her two newest books address in different ways grief and anxiety. Dimming the Day, Evening Meditations for Quiet Wonder, 
includes guided meditations on nature in order to replace anxiety with awe, distraction with focus, and worry with true rest. Jennifer's most recent book for children and their adults, Once Upon a Time Not So Long Ago, captures the joys and sorrows of this time. And the underlying message to readers is that they can make it through difficulty. Jennifer, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I thought I might start and, and sync the comments that people have already posted um, by reading a short uh, part of Dimming the Day, um, which is my new book for adults. And uh, I wrote it just to give you all a little background about it. Um, I had written the proposal for the book in 2019, but the book was actually um, acquired in March of 2020. And then I began writing it in April of 2020 um, in, a, in such an upside down time for all of us, right? And it was also a time so laden with grief um, in terms of the things my family was experiencing. I had a daughter who was a sophomore in college and she was abruptly sent home you know, left her dorm room as it was and sort of packed for two weeks only to be home for months and months. Um, and there's real loss in that. I know for those of you who are parents or who otherwise work with young people, um, so many milestones were uh, missed and canceled for, for young adults. And so, um, you know, she came home with a, a carry-on bag and ended up her room, her uh, university cleared out her room took all the stuff off the walls, threw it in a warehouse. And even that sort of loss, and you know, you remember when you're in college and you kind of create a space and have a whole life and that was abruptly, you know, unplugged and uh, for her. So she was at home really experiencing a lot of loss, missing her friends, missing her college life. I had a daughter who was a senior in high school. So all the, you know, prom, graduation, all those things. I had a son who was a senior in college. Again, everything was canceled and moved to Zoom. And so while writing this book, I was, I was dealing with my own feelings of uncertainty and loss and lament, and also kind of in a, in a way I hadn't for a long time dealing with those of my children because um, they were all home again, which was a difference as well. Um, so this book, uh, this book has a lot of um, content about science and about nature because um, the premise of it is that when we experience awe, our anxiety and our grief can be addressed and we can heal from uh, from normal anxiety, not clinical, but um, I sort of make that distinction in the introduction. But um, each chapter has a topic from nature and each chapter does, uh, as Leanne said, um, have a guided meditation at the end. So the idea was that people could read it before bed, sort of clear their mind, get focused on something beautiful in nature and you know, just sort of mindfully breathe and pray and, and feel a sense of comfort during this time. So um, the chapter I was gonna read from is called Humpback Whales. So that was one of the topics. And um, as is true with the whole book, the first uh, part of that chapter just describes um, different behavior and, and types of whales and so on. So I'm not gonna read you all of that, but, um, but this, book, this chapter particularly was about lament, so I thought I'd read from that. <clears throat> Humpbacks aren't the only whales to sing, but their songs are the most elaborate. They're composed of moans, howls, and growling. 
And these songs are more organized, our guide explains, than they might initially seem. Like our own musical compositions, in humpback songs, a series of sounds is repeated in patterns over time. Marine biologists and human composers call these phrases. The repeated phrases then compose a theme, and there are five to seven themes in each humpback song. The sounds aren't made by vocal cords. Humpback whales don't have them. Instead, they produce sounds by pushing air through chambers in their respiratory system. Their songs cover frequencies that cannot be heard by humans and can last up to 20 minutes long. While singing, the whale floats, nearly motionless. You can listen to humpback songs online, although good luck trying to discern the phrases and themes of each song. What I hear is a wide range of sounds that sound both mechanical and somehow natural, low, low growls and high cries and whines. Some sounds are like the muted restrained barking of a dreaming dog. Others are like someone running their fingers up and down the strings of an acoustic guitar. Then there's a kind of siren and the screech of a seagull. I hear a cow mooing and then the bellowing of a bull. Whether they're trying to attract potential mates, establish dominance, find their way across the ocean, or just simply express themselves, the humpback songs sound to me like lament. In the Hebrew Bible, a selection of seven psalms, 44, 60, 74, 79, 80, 85, and 90, are referred to as the psalms of communal lament. These particular psalms express sorrow for a large body of people and the troubles of a nation, and ask for God's blessing. Christians throughout history have used these psalms after a natural disaster, plague, or other tragedy. During 2020, many faith communities held special services to make communal laments. We lamented the pandemic and the suffering and loss of life it has left in its wake. We lamented police brutality and systemic racism. We lamented jagged ideological divisions in our nation. Like a humpback song, communal laments are highly organized. There are generally six parts. The address, the lament proper, the confession of trust, the petition, the exclamation of certainty in which the people affirm that God hears their prayers and prays. I wonder if the humpbacks have cause for communal lament. Maybe some of their songs are prayers to their creator, low growls expressing their sorrow, screeches requesting God's help on their journeys, and siren-like songs, uh, words of thanks for the provision they find in the ocean depths as they make their way home. So that's uh, part of Dimming the Day. Gives you a sense of the book, you know, with the content around around nature. And um, and the idea with, with when I was writing it was not to include things that might really activate worry or anxiety in the reader. You know, um, right after the editor acquired this book, um, she sent me a title that was coming out or had just come out and it was called, it was a book of short stories for nighttime. And it said, it was, I think its title is something like nothing much happens. So in this book, the idea is to have, you know, these kind of calm readings that will be interesting, I hope, and that will, um, teach things about the natural world, but also, again, to direct our focus away from our worries, our to-do lists, our anxieties, and focused on, on creation and, and on um, things in nature that might inspire awe. So I don't know if anyone has any questions about, um, about that book or, or Leanne, if you... Yes, I would 
love for you to address something um, that you addressed in the interview blog post, which I am now putting in the chat, um, about what's the difference between like unhealthy self-soothing and awe as a way to uh, dim the day. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you understand what I'm getting at there? Like we don't want to just bury it and not let it affect us, right? but we do need to sleep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, there is a difference between, you know, we throw around terms like self-care and self-soothing mm -hmm. um, and sometimes define them very differently, you know, depending on who's, who's speaking about them. Um, these, what I hope with these reflections is that they are, um, they are about looking honestly at what we're dealing with. For instance, in that chapter about lament, um, I'm naming and acknowledging, you know, what's happening in our culture. I'm not saying everything's fine and, you know, um, think about whales and ginkgo trees, you know, um, but, but by, by shifting my focus to um, things in nature, things that I find beautiful and awe-inspiring, it does sort of, it sort of puts me anyway in perspective with nature, you know, like instead of thinking I'm really, really important or really, really unimportant, I feel like interacting with the natural world puts me, it sort of balances me out. I can remember that my troubles and my anxieties and the things I'm going through are important, but I also can remember that there are bigger things. There are things that lived before I lived and will continue to. There are things that exist, you know, deep in the sea that will continue. And it, I feel like it just sort of calibrates me anyway. So my hope is that readers would have an experience like that with this book. Sounds like the book of Job. <laughs> I have all of these complaints. Yes, but did you make the Leviathan? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other book that I wrote in, in 2020 um, was this book for children, and um, it was, I might have told you this already, I don't remember if we spoke about this, but um, this book is called Once Upon a Time Not So Long Ago, and uh, I started it in March of 2020, again, when my kids had all come home, and um, it started as this kind of fairy tale with dragons, and I, I pictured people being attacked by this, you know, plague, um, and how they responded. And as I worked on it, it got simpler and simpler and simpler to where now it's a very simply told story. Um, and I just kind of try what I was hoping is to, again, acknowledge, because when we, you know, as we said, to lament something and to grieve something, you need to name it and, um, and bring it out into the open as one of the commenters, um, said, um, so this book kind of tells the story of people all over the world getting sick and um, but then also some of the things that happened as a result of that um, people spending more time with uh, their dogs you know people going outside more people looking up at the sky more um, and it ends with the um, suggestion that um, people learned something they didn't know before which is how great it is to be together and I think that for a lot of us, one of the griefs that we experienced was not being able to be with the people that we love, canceling trips, canceling holidays, canceling milestone, things like graduations and so on. Um, I think now when we are together now with the people we love, 
we hold that so much more um, as the treasure it is. We don't take it for granted. And so um, that's the other book that I wrote during that time. Jennifer, um, neither of these, well, especially not the children's book, is not religious per se. I mean, like it's deeply meaningful, but it's not exclusively Christian. Uh, could you talk a little bit about then how someone could use a book like this that invites reflection with groups who are not all homogenous? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to say that I've heard that some people have done that actually. Um, yeah, it was, it was important to me that this book um, really addressed and mirrored the, the uh, experiences of a lot of different kinds of people. It isn't, you're right, it's not a Christian book. I've written some picture books for children that are specifically Christian. Um, one's called Maybe God is Like That Too and some other ones as well. But with this one, I think that born also of the fact that our culture feels and is so divided and there's so many, um, I don't know, fault lines and divisions and, and uh, so much stress between different groups of people that I wanted to create a book that would be appropriate for any reader and also that would, I hope, inspire some unity and some kind of understanding that we're having this shared experience. So yeah, there are people from different cultures pictured. Um, there are people from different religions pictured in this book. And, um, and yeah, it was very intentionally not a Christian book because I really wanted people to be able to use it in classrooms in libraries, community centers. Um, I think one thing that um, clergy could do in order maybe to build community and to build unity within their communities is if this book were read and if there was a story time and you and the maybe a church would open up uh, this story time to anyone in the community then people of different religions or no religion or different spiritual practices could come together and um, and talk about it and and one thing that they added at the end of this book is questions for reflection and again they're very open-ended um, and they would be appropriate for anyone um, you know regardless of their spiritual practices but it could be you know a, a member of the clergy or, or a community leader could host something and read this book and then ask these questions and they're very simple um, i've gotten some hilarious responses from children um, some parents have actually emailed me what their children have said in, in response to these, but um, what will you remember most about these these times? And I've had kids say, uh, I got to use my screen more. <laughs> you know, my parents bought me an iPad or I, I got to uh, bake more, I learned to bake. Um, and then there's a page, what or who did you miss the most? And I've had a lot of responses from kids about that as well. And I think um, one surprise, I, I don't know why this surprises me, but um, I've gotten thanks from parents saying, thank you for giving words to this so that, you know, how do you even begin to approach all the changes that we've experienced, all the loss we've experienced. So this very simple book um, is a way to have a conversation with kids as well and, and to express your own lament. You know, Abby was saying, you know, she needs to show her sadness to her children. And so by, by reading this book with a child and asking those questions, but also answering them and saying, what, how did this time affect me as your, as your parent or as your, or as your pastor or whomever? 
um, can be a way to have a sort of communal lament together. We have some very thoughtful questions in the chat here. Um, first, can I just ask a technical question on behalf of one of the participants? So can you read books like that lovely children's book on a live stream on Facebook or on YouTube? Elevator speech about this, please. Um, yeah, uh, do you mean can, sometimes people ask me for permission to do that. Do you mean, does the participant want to read them? Right, is the yeah. pastor allowed to do that? or the, Yes, okay, you know, so that's, that's a great question. Um, it depends on the publisher, but normally, and I don't know whether this is church publishing, which is the, um, the Episcopal Church's publishing arm, and I don't know whether they have a statement. I know that Beaming Books, who published my other books for children, um, have a um, like a COVID policy where it's you know any pastor or community leader is welcome to read that uh, to read those books and and yes they're often taped as well. So, um, but in terms of um, this one, I could uh, <laughs> if someone wants to read it uh, in a church service or a taped thing. Um, I would look on the website for at church publishing to see if they have a statement about it. It's always safest to ask permission, but I think, I think during this time, you know, I've heard from, you know, people like mayors and people who are community leaders who have read these books, you know, online for a taped segment. So that's a very rambly answer, but basically it's always safest to ask permission. And, but I think during this time, a lot of people have done that. Okay. Uh, one more that went up in the chat, but just came to the hosts and panelists. So maybe everyone didn't see it. Um, when we don't process grief and loss intentionally, it still will seep out in less healthy ways. Mm -hmm. And when I see this children's book with all the different people in it, I think, well, if we have people that are acting out because they haven't processed anything, here, Grandma, read this with the grandchildren now, and then they start processing. Mm -hmm. um, could you talk a little bit about your stealthy intentions there? How does this help people who don't want to talk about it talk about it? Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I think that I, I, it is interesting when I'm writing for children, um, you know, children's literature is a funny category, right? Because it's a, it's normally adults writing for children. So really it's not children's literature. It's adults trying to talk to children or tell a story to children, which is kind of a funny um, uh, mismatch in some ways. But um, with this book and also this book on grief that I wrote called A Little Blue Bottle, which was also from church publishing, this is about um, death and grief as well. Um, I, I did a lot of research on how best to comfort children when they're grieving for both of those books. And, um, and the, the overwhelming thing that I took away from that research and also from speaking with therapists who work with children who are grieving is just to be present. Because of course, um, you know, telling them it's all fine and glossing it over, we all know that that only, you know, as this person said, only invites further pain and suffering down the road. So um, so like with a little blue bottle, I was really trying to create a model that I, I stealthily, as you say, like I was hoping that that will model for, for parents who don't know how to 
um, help their child go through a, a time of grief. Um, the mom in that story sort of models, I think, some really healthy, um, open-ended questions, gentle questions, and this ministry of presence with the child in that book. And um, yeah, so similarly with Once Upon a Time Not So Long Ago, I've heard from some, some teachers who are using it in their classes um, because again, it's not a Christian book, so they're able to do that, but also um, it just has, it has helped kids, you know, speak about this time. And yeah, I think, I think all of us, I mean, if we've all experienced loss, it might, it might feel too overwhelming to try to find a way and find a vocabulary for speaking about um, the pandemic and, and all the deaths and all the suffering that's happened. So yeah, these little simple <laughs> picture books can be a script in some ways to um, get that conversation started.